0: If you have your Bible, go ahead and open those, if you would, to the Gospel of John. Today we're reading the end of chapter 11 from verse 55 to chapter 12. Verse 11, and that's kind of a wonky uh, breakdown of a passage, and I'll explain it here in just a few moments. And turning our attention now to the Gospel of John, this is really part three to the story of Lazarus. We saw Lazarus rising from the dead beginning in chapter 11. We saw the response of the Pharisees, the chief priests, the crowds, and Caiaphas. And then today we see gratitude. Notice how Mary, Martha, and Lazarus display their gratitude to Jesus. Verse 55. Now the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went up to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus and were saying to one of them as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, they were to report it so that they might seize him. What are they focused on? Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was in her normal place of serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said... Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Verse 7, Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. The large crowds of Jews... Then learned that, that he was there in Bethany, and they came to him, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. The chief priest planned also to put Lazarus to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. Amen. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God for the living God. Father, that is the echo of my heart, that we would not just learn more today, but that your truth would cause us to desire you all the more. May your spirit speak through your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would shut out all the distractions of the world, and we would lift you up and worship you, and see and be doers of your word. Lift this up, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, PJ. Thank you to all those that make the world go round around here. Today I uh, titled my sermon, Having an Attitude of Gratitude. Having an Attitude of Gratitude. Let us not see what we do not have, but what we do have. Let us not bog down in the regrets of old, but in the promises to come. Let us look out beyond ourselves to touch lives for Christ. Um, if you think about life, we really do have a lot to be grateful for. I'm going to say that again, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask of you to say it, amen. We really do have a lot to be grateful for. The Lord has blessed us immeasurably in so many ways. And oftentimes we are so focused on the negativity of life, the circumstances in which we live, that we fail to see the blessings of God. We fail to be grateful for all of the blessings He gives us. In a sea of negativity, in a sea of discouragement, doubts, dilemmas, and disappointment, How can we turn? How can we see life and be grateful for all of the fruitfulness that the Lord has given to us? Because in our passage today, in John chapter 11 and 12, I see gratefulness. I see three people, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, that are grateful for what the Lord has done. And it gives us an example to follow. And being grateful to God, oftentimes we cannot look at our circumstances, our current circumstances, to be grateful. But we must sometimes get above our circumstances and look to the past, look to the future, and look outside of ourselves to really be grateful for all of the things that God has given us. As we have walked through the Gospel of John, there are many, many stories that come to my mind, many uh, truths, stories that have been inscribed on our hearts and our minds Think about John chapter 1, the prologue, which is a beautiful piece of theology. That John takes these, this simple language and creates this beautiful, complex tapestry of Christology. In John chapter 2, we see the wedding in Cana. You see Jesus clearing the temple. Then you have Nicodemus and the story of him being deceived by religion. Then you have John the Baptist pertaining and his testimony to the Christ. Then you then you kind of turn the page and you see this shamed person of society, this forgotten woman in Samaria. Samaria. And Jesus comes to her and He values her and He shares with her the most precious gift of all, eternal life. And what does that communicate to all of us here this morning? That the gospel is not for just good people. It's been for all people. That Christ has come and He has died for all sin, that all may be redeemed. And then you have the story in John 5 of Jesus healing the layman beside the pool of Bethesda, teaching us that religion is not about following rules, but about having a relationship with God and extending love and grace to others. In John 6, we have the story of Jesus taking a happy meal and multiplying it to feed a stadium of people. And then right after that, we have the story of Jesus walking on the water. And then you have Right after that, this this massive discourse of Christology, over who Christ really is. And then in that section, we just have unpacked the person and identity of Christ. That is really the theme of the Gospel of John. That He is the bread of life. What does that mean? That He is the source... Of life, that He is the light of world, that He is the light of the world, that He is the source, or excuse me, He is the solution to sin, that He is the door, that He is the entryway to eternal life, that He is the good shepherd, He is the leader of God's people, He is the resurrection and the life, He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to heaven, friends, and He is the true vine. Jesus is the Son of God, He is the Messiah, and He is our Lord. And we are his servants, and we should devote our lives to him always. And this is really the backdrop of our passage today. Today is really part three, as I've already said, to the story of Lazarus rising from the dead. Kind of section number one was John 11, 1 through 44. And what did we really see in that section? John 11, 1 through 44 was really the purpose of that was not to really just... Uh, raise, raise Lazarus from the dead But it was really to display the glory of God In John chapter 11 verse 4 And kind of, what was the lesson to us In John 11 verses 1 through 44 It was that in trials that God is glorified Calling us to a deeper faith To begin our faith Or to stretch our faith And then last week we saw The response of, of the Pharisees Of the crowds And of Caiaphas And we saw that when the Lord is working, what choices do we have in our response? There's really just about three. That when the Lord is working in our lives, which He is at all times. Can I say that again? The Lord is working in our lives at all times. Can I get an amen? How are are we going to respond to His work in our lives? There's three ways. That we can trust him more. That we will follow him in his desire for us to either believe or to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Or we can, number two, like the Pharisees, we can reject him. Or we can be like Caiaphas who misapplied God's truth in his prophecy. How is the Lord working in your life right now? Right where you are. How is he working? What is he doing in your life? And will you trust him? him more today is really the beginning of passion week today is really the beginning of his crucifixion and arrest and resurrection And when I was just kind of picking apart John 11 from verses 55 through John 12 verse 11, that kind of uh, pericope and that kind of section, I, you know, I, I was just, I just saw absolute delight from three characters, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. I saw their gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done in their life. And even though they still can have a beef. What, what God has done and Christ has done in their life. And today I want to talk to you about having gratitude. Having an attitude of gratitude despite if your present circumstances are crummy. How do we delight here and now? Pause for just a second before I dive in any further. I'm going to ask of you right where you are. I want to I want you to put a picture in your mind of a blessing that God has given you. It could be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a job. How has the Lord blessed you? What do you have to be grateful for? Some time ago I was uh, an older gentleman called me and he uh, he called me on the phone and I know this man very very well and he, he said, you know, Byron, I have nothing to delight in, nothing to be grateful for, that my life has been one giant solemn story, and that he had nothing to be happy about. Now, I'm sure we've all felt that way, because I certainly have. Okay, uh, but I was, I know this guy well, and I was a little bit, what? Like, I was a little bit dumbfounded, okay, and I was gentle with this gentleman. I didn't come out and just slap him through the phone, so don't worry, I'm not really that type of person. Uh, <laughs> y'all are all going to be terrified to call me on the phone from now on. But this man who contacted me, who said he had nothing to be grateful for, nothing to be happy about, I knew him well. And this man was a multimillionaire. I mean, he drives a car that's more expensive than my house. This man... Has four kids that are all productive members of society. He has oodles of healthy grandchildren. He has his health. He can, he is able to live and do whatever he wishes. This man has a wife who serves him and takes care of him. This man is a Christian. He has been saved. He has all of the promises and blessings to come. And he was so stuck in the mire of his present circumstances that he failed to be grateful for anything. But we can be just like that. That we can become so focused on our present circumstances that we fail to be grateful for all of the ways that God is shaping and blessing our lives. How has God blessed you? How, what do you have to be grateful for? Friends, it is so easy for us to look at the dry road we walk and fail to remember the ocean behind and the mountains ahead. If you are walking a dry road, a road that seems just endless, just dry and fruitless, then today you need what Lazarus, Mary, and Martha show us to do. Because today I want to answer the question, how can we be satisfied and grateful in the here and now for all the the blessings that God has given us? But it takes us to look back, to look in the future, and to look out at the lives of other people. So if you have your Bible, open those to John 11. And today we will begin in verse 55, and we will go to John chapter 12, verse 11. Now, uh, that's a weird breakdown. I, I know some of you are thinking that's a strange passage and the reason that there's a weird breakdown that I kind of uh, saddle between two chapters is because whoever placed uh, the chapter markers in the Bible, whoever did that, Paul didn't do that, by the way, and they didn't do that back then. I'll explain that here in just a moment. But whoever placed the chapter divisions got a lot of them right, but they got this one wrong. If you want to see another example of a bad chapter placement, then go to Genesis chapter 2. Uh, the original, If you don't know, the original manuscripts of the Bible did not have any punctuation, there were no paragraph indentions. In fact, the New Testament original manuscripts were written in all capital letters with no no punctuation, no spaces in between words, no chapter markers, and no verse markers. The chapter and verse markers were not added until the 13th century, some 1,200 years after the Bible was completed. So the chapter and verse markers are not inspired of God. So if I offended you by saying that this chapter marker is bad, I'm sorry. Because it is. Because if you notice in verse 55, what does it signal to us? Notice what it says. The verse 55 is really what begins the presentation of the Christ. You have John 1 through 11, verse 54 is the proof of the Christ, and then John through the end of the book is the presentation of the Christ. Notice verse 55 in your text. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near. And many went up to Jerusalem, out of the country, before the Passover, to purify themselves. So they were seeking Jesus and were saying to one another, as they stood in the temple, What do you think? Is Jesus coming to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he was to report it so that they might seize him. Notice, the first phrase here in verse 55 signals the Passover week. Now, the Passover of the Jews was near because what do we know happens at this Passover feast? That Jesus is sacrificed as the Passover lamb for the sins of the world. Passover itself was an annual feast. Now, if you do not know the culture of the first century, there are three annual feasts that required a migration to the city of Jerusalem. The first of the year is Passover, which happened in early April. You have the Feast of Pentecost in kind of mid-May, and then you have the Feast of Booze in October. And Passover was kind of the highlight of the year. If you could think about it this way, Passover was their 4th of July. It celebrated, it commemorated their escape out of 400 years of captivity to the nation of Egypt. And in Exodus chapter 12, what's the story of Passover itself? In Exodus chapter 12, God warns the nation of Israel that God will come as the tenth plague to the nation of Egypt, that he will come and strike down the firstborn from the Egyptians and that the Lord would pass over all of the Jewish households that would have the blood of the lamb spread over their doorposts. So the nation of Israel, in Exodus chapter 12, took blood from a lamb, spread it over the doorposts of their homes that the... God would pass over and now 1,500 years later Jesus is that Lamb that died so that God the Father would pass over our sin previously, currently and forever committed but then notice what the Pharisees do here I was uh, at lunch this week with a friend of mine and we were at Walton's if you've never been there they did not pay me to do this advertisement Okay. Uh, It's really good You should go there But uh, This gentleman called The Pharisees Parasites And I thought that was a good name for them Because they don't see The celebration of Passover As A celebration of their exodus from Egypt. They don't see it as an image of God's redemption. What do the Pharisees see this Passover as? They only see it as an opportunity to seize and to kill Jesus. That this one thought is all-consuming. Notice verse 57. Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, that he was to report it so that they might seize Jesus. In a sense, they get pigeonholed that they ignore what really God is doing and even the significance of the Passover meal, the significance of who Jesus is, and they are so consumed by bitterness and resentment and religiousness, that's a word, that they focus solely on killing Jesus. Friends, if we are not careful, we can end up just like them. That we can let our religious zeal, our bitterness, our schedule, our selfishness pigeonhole us to completely blind us to the truth of what God is truly doing. But today's story is not really about the Pharisees. It's really about Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Notice verses 1 through 8 in your text. It says, Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Before we go any further, I want you to notice one word in verse 1. Now, I point this word out very often, and you're probably going to know exactly what word I want to talk about in verse 1. But it's the Greek word, un. It's the word, therefore. And what I say, oh, therefore, is therefore a reason, right? So what, is, what does it do? It therefore links the passage before with the conclusion in verse 1. So it links Jesus going to the town of Bethany with the sinister plot of the Pharisees. Jesus knows that if he goes to the town of Bethany, that he will not live more than two weeks from that point. And yet he still goes. Because he knows the Pharisees will find him. They will strip him naked. They will put a crown of thorns on his head. They will tear his flesh with a whip. They will put nails in his hands and his feet. They will hang him on a tree for him to suffer. And he still goes despite it all. Despite the suffering that he will face as the Passover lamb for every human being that has ever lived. Let's continue. Jesus therefore six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Bethany is very close to the city of Jerusalem, if you, mu- if you know. Whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there and Martha was serving. But Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. And then Mary took a pound of a very costly perfume made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. What I see in this passage is the gratitude of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus and the lack of it from a man named Judas. I see absolute delight from Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Notice again verse 2. So they made him supper... There. And Martha was serving. I want you to kind of just highlight in that, that in your mind. But Lazarus was one of those, of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of, made of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with their hair and the house filled with the fragrance of the perfume. How many of you feel like this story sounds a little bit familiar? This story almost echoes Luke chapter 10 The only other time we have That really Martha, Mary and Lazarus Are really mentioned Outside of John 11 and John 12 Is in Luke chapter 10 And what happens in Luke chapter 10 Martha in Luke 10 was what? She was more consumed with a sink full of dishes Than she was for serving her Savior And what does Jesus do in response? He kind of calls Martha out He says This is what Mary is doing, sitting at my feet, will not be taken from her. He kind of, in a way, for lack of a better term, criticizes or critiques Martha's desire to do dishes. And there is Martha once again at Jesus' feet. So you have Mary and Martha at their normal place. But I want you to think about Martha for just a moment. Where is she? She is again serving the Lord Jesus But what doesn't she do this time? She does not give Mary a hard time for sitting at the feet of Jesus. She doesn't give her a hard time for lighting on fire, according to Judas, 300 denarii worth of perfume. In my opinion, we see a little bit of spiritual growth and maturity from Martha. Can I just say this? Um, Imagine if you invited somebody into your home, okay, and you're busy hosting and being a good, hospitable person. Okay, And then that person that is in your home that you just fed Criticizes you in front of all of your disciples In front of all of your family Would you ever let that person back into your home? Uh, (laughs) If somebody criticized you in your home Questioning your judgment Despite you working hard to make them feel at home You would have a hard time Bringing that person back into your door I see Martha here is a spirit She has grown and spiritually matured where she does not criticize Mary. She does not resent the past. How can we be grateful in the present? It is to learn from the past. It is to learn from the past, if you have your notes. Because if I were Martha and I were not humble I would probably be bitter and resentful for Jesus calling me out. Because think about the characters in the New Testament. Who is bitter and resentful for calling them out? That's the Pharisees. They can't help themselves. They just build in their resentment and anger because Jesus keeps chastising them for their wrong. But instead, Martha turns and does something else with it. She is receptive to the the instruction of the Lord. She receives it with humility. Martha is humble, learning from the past friends when you look at your past when you look at your history what do you see do you see regrets resentment bitterness or do you learn from the Lord with humility forgiving the faults of others and learning the lessons that God has taught you so that you can spiritually grow and mature and become more and more like his son I um, I saw a Cal, remember this week on Facebook, he, uh, they caught a skunk. I don't know if anybody else saw that before. That is an unpleasant surprise, okay? So, I'm glad they caught it, but steer clear about a mile of that thing, okay? But I've known a lot of skunks in my life. A skunk is a person that sprays stink on all those that get close, that let past hurt Control their relationships in the present by spraying stink on everyone. I have a relative of mine that was uh, stolen from for, by one of his employees, and he, he, this employee stole from him a large amount. Of money, and this one event that happened when this guy was probably about sixty years old, and this gentleman lived in his 90s so for thirty years, this one event caused him to become a skunk, spraying scent and nastiness and bitterness and rage and aggression on his family, on his friends, on his grandchildren and children. He became a skunk because he could not learn from the past he could not let. Go of the bitterness of somebody's betrayal. Hey, Mar- Martha had a choice. In Luke chapter 10, she could have become a skunk, spraying stink on everybody. She could have kicked her Savior out of her house for the resentment and bitterness of her being chastised in front of her whole family. But instead, she grows, and she matures, and she learns you see, Martha, continuing to serve her Savior, learning from the past, but then notice Mary. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had his hand in the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, Judas, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. After supper, Mary takes a very expensive bottle of perfume and anoints the Lord. Why? Why? in preparation for the future, in preparation for his burial in verse 7. So what does Mary know? So we, we learn from Martha, but what does Mary know about the future? That she knows that Jesus is about to die. In, in preparing for his burial, she knows that her close friend, her The person that she loves is about to die. And instead of trying to talk him out of it, instead of trying to talk him out of being the Passover lamb, she anoints him in preparation for his burial. She looks to the future. She doesn't resist the will of God, but instead she embraces it. She embraces the future because she knows that when Jesus dies, that he will serve as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. How does she show her gratitude with perfume? But she is grateful because she looks to the future promises that Jesus provides. If you have your notes, being grateful in the present requires us to learn from the past and look to the future. And it says that she, was, she anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. And it gives two Distinct details. Number one, it says it was made of pure nard, and it says that it, was, it cost 300 denarii. Now, what is pure nard? The word nard, we don't know that one really in English. It comes from the Greek word nardos, and it refers probably to a Himalayan plant that has a very strong scent. What did I just say? A Himalayan plant. Where is Bethany. Where Jesus is. It is in Israel. Where is the Himalaya Mountains? Mount Everest. It is in northern India, southern China. So think about that plant. It traveled some 8,000 miles to arrive at a town called Bethany a couple weeks before Jesus dies. And then notice what it says. It says it costs 300 denarii. Now how much is that? A denarii is, in this culture, one day's wage. So this is... 300 days of wages Let me put that in perspective The average household income of an American Is $61,000 That bottle of perfume Would cost us $50,000 Zomari takes this $50,000 bottle of perfume Cracks it open and anoints her Lord To prepare for his burial Friends, what is a future hope that makes you grateful in the present? What is a future hope that makes you grateful in the present? It could be the hope of having grandchildren, children. It could be the hope of retirement. But spiritually speaking, what is a hope that God has given to us that we can anxiously look for? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we have a host of promises that the Lord has given to us. But so many times we let that kind of fade into oblivion amongst all of the craziness of our lives. But instead, we should let it rise to the surface. That when we are discouraged in the present, we should look to the future promises that the Lord has given to us. What do we have to look forward to? We have the future hope of heaven, our inheritance, as children of God. We have salvation. We have a place that is promised us, that is paradise, far away from the troubles and worries of this world. But I want you to think about the hope that is in this world alone. I want you to imagine for just a moment where you are, that there is no heaven, that there is no future eternity that there are no promises of god just just go with me on that for just a second just take all the promises heaven and just erase them i did that that this week and what was the emotion that it comes complete and total hopelessness but since there is heaven since a Savior is waiting for us, since He is preparing us a place, since there will be a new heaven and new earth that takes us far away from the pain and the tears of this world, since there is, since we are guaranteed the promises of God, since we have a Savior that awaits our arrival after death, then that gives me hope, that gives me gratefulness in the present. If you are struggling to have an attitude of gratitude, if you are kind of stuck in the the here and now, just look up. Look to the horizon. Look to eternity and the Savior that has promised you heaven. Look to the future hope that God has given to us. But then notice Judas Iscariot. There is kind of this turning of the characters throughout this passage is kind of weaving to different narratives. Notice Judas. And we kind of all, all have a Judas in our lives, like a person that just kind of nitpicks that just kind of brings us down. Verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him and said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this not because he was concerned for the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used the pill for it. What was put into it. So according to Judas, what did Mary do? She essentially lit on fire fifty thousand dollars. Now, to any of us, if you grabbed a big wad of fifty thousand five hundred hundred dollar bills and you lit it on fire, okay, it'd probably cause all of us to be a bit concerned for somebody's sanity to do that. Okay, <laughs> okay, fifty thousand dollars, that's the worth of this. But Judas is externally noble, but internally selfish. He really doesn't care about the $50,000. He cares about himself. Here is this tremendous gift that this woman named Mary has given to her Savior. And Judas is so self-centered that he fails to notice the gift that it is. We all have a Judas in our life that kind of constantly just nitpicks, that steals, tries to steal the gratefulness that we have in the present, that doesn't see the blessings of God at that moment, but constantly sees our inadequacies and our failures. Is there somebody, a Judas, in your life? That Judas is probably motivated by some sort of selfishness that they have. I would encourage you to love them and approach them with truth. But then notice Lazarus in verse 9. You know, before I read this, I want... We're going to see Lazarus in just a second In verses 9 through 11 But I want you to kind of go with me on this thought That Lazarus has a lot to complain about I'll explain Verse 9 The large crowds of the Jews then learned that he was there And they came Not for Jesus' sake only But that they might also see Lazarus Whom he raised from the dead But the chief priests planned To put Lazarus to death also. Why? Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So why did the chief priests want to kill Lazarus? It's because he is evangelizing too much. Now this could happen to us within our lifetimes. But I want you to notice Lazarus himself. He is obnoxiously evangelistic. So much so that the chief priests and the Pharisees desire to kill him. But Lazarus has a lot to complain about. Why? Why do I say that? Okay, think about this. Where, how, long, how long was Lazarus in the tomb? For four days. Okay, so where was Lazarus' soul while he, his body lie in the tomb? His soul was in heaven, in complete paradise far away from the sicknesses and illnesses and struggles and sadness and difficulties of his world. So Jesus brings him back from heaven, places him in the same decaying body that he had before to cause him, oh, to die again and to endure loss of loved ones, loss of jobs and life Lazarus has a lot to whine about, okay? I mean, if I was Lazarus and Jesus brought me back from eternal paradise to place me inside of a tomb, you know, I'd say, man, Jesus, really? Come on. I was, I was with God in heaven, walking around, throwing crowns at, you know, God the Father. But instead, what does Lazarus do? How does he display his gratitude? He tells others about Jesus, being grateful, having an attitude of gratitude in the present, requires us to learn from the past, to look to the future, and to look out, to let other people know about Jesus. This theme of gratefulness, of gratitude, is what I really see in John 11, verses 55 through John 12, verse 11. You don't have to raise your hand to this question. But how many of you have ever seen somebody come to the Lord right before your eyes? What's that feeling like? It is awesome to see the scales of blindness and sin fall off someone's face when they all of a sudden realize that this Jesus Christ is not just some myth, but that he is real and that he is Lord and that he is Savior. If you've ever experienced that fact, and you know the gratitude and joy that comes when you tell others about Jesus. How do we tell other people about Jesus? There are three ways, with our life, with our love, and with our words. With our life in Matthew 5.16, it says this, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. With our love, John 13.35, by all this... By this all men will know that you are my disciples by your love for one for another, with our words, Romans ten fourteen. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? There is gratitude to loving people and to showing others the promise of the gospel in Jesus Christ, to see the scales of unbelief fall off their face. Gratitude in the present requires us to look out to the masses, to the people that live in complete darkness. Dave Ramsey, who I'm a big fan of, says that giving kind of changes them, but really changes you. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ changes them, but it also changes you. It shapes the way you look at life and the gratitude by which you live. My point today, if you could put it all in a nutshell, is to be grateful in the present by learning from the past, looking to the future, and letting others know of Christ. You know, as we kind of turn the tide to more of the application section of kind of taking this passage and putting it into May 23rd of 2021 in Huntsville, Alabama, at Calvary Bible Church at 607 Drake Avenue, as we kind of take that and we kind of transition to the here and now, I just want to ask you just essentially three questions. Because what I want to do today is not for us to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Right? Amen? Let us not just know the truth a little bit more, but let us practice it in our daily lives. And this week, I just kind of just sat there, and, I, and I, I, I'm on Wednesday now, and I'm, I'm preparing this for, for Panera Bread, at Panera, not for Panera Bread, but at Panera Bread, okay? Um, I don't practice them on, this sermon on Panera employees. I would just be, uh, they would look at me like I've lost my mind, okay? But I'm just sitting there, and I just have to ask myself the question, okay, Byron Bradshaw, you look at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, What does this look like in your life? And so right then and there, I asked myself three questions. I did not create a slide for them, but they are on the back of your notes if you would like to kind of follow along. And I'm going to give you the three questions that I want you to answer. And after each question, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pause for about 20 seconds just to make it a little awkward in here. And I just want you to answer the question. Question number one is this. What do you have to be grateful for in the past? What do you have to be grateful for in the past? If you do not have your notes, just think about that question. What do you have to be grateful for in the past? Question number two is What do you have to be hopeful for in the future? What do you have to be hopeful for in the future? Question number three is this Who needs to hear of Jesus in the present? Who needs to hear of Jesus in the present? What do you have to be grateful for in the past? What do you have to be hopeful for in the future? And who needs to hear of Jesus in the present? I hope today that we walk out different That we not be a skunk that sprays stink on everyone from the bitterness and resentment that we have from the past, but rather forgiving, moving on, learning from God, learning to trust Him, having this idea of heaven and the promises of the Lord that give us energy to follow, and then we have a mindset that looks out to the world to see them living in darkness, and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them in the hope that you have. Friends, if you look to your present circumstances for gratitude and for happiness, often it will just leave you dry. We have to look above. We have to get our eyes off of the dry road that we walk and see the past blessings of the Lord. How the Lord has blessed you and granted to you life and has has showed His grace to you immeasurably. We have to get our eyes on the future, on heaven that awaits us, on the future hope that we have and the inheritance as sons of God. And we have to look to the dying world to present to them the gospel so that we can have that sense of gratefulness that as we see the scales fall off of their face because at that moment for the very first time they embrace their Savior get up look above rise above your present circumstances and see what the Lord is doing and let that cause gratitude in the present As I said already, the life of a preacher is uh, one of constant conviction. A preacher that is no longer convicted needs to stop preaching. So I just asked myself the same three questions. What do I have to be grateful for? I said, my family. God has gifted me with tremendous wife and children. If you know my story, then you know that I could be all bitter and resentful over losing my two-year-old son ten days before his second birthday. And that day still affects me here and now. Every day I miss him, but God has blessed me immeasurably in so many other ways. Will I let that one past event cause me bitterness and resentment for the rest of my life, or will I be grateful for the other blessings the Lord has given to me? I have hope for the future. Man, perhaps you are like this, but heaven tastes sweeter every day. (laughs) Because one day I hope to see my son. This is the image that I have. I have my son in one hand and my Savior in the other. And I walk in complete and total paradise and eternity with them. That is the future hope that I have. And who is a family member that needs to hear the gospel there is a family member that I have that has been bothering me. Not bothering me, but that sounds bad. <laughs> They've been annoying me. I don't want to talk about them with the gospel. But that, that, the fact that I have not shared with them, driving me bananas. Who is somebody in your family, somebody, a friend, a, a, a relative, that you need to share the hope of Jesus Christ? Will we live in agony as a skunk Or will we live with gratitude? Will we let the past entrench us? Will we let the future bore us? Will we let others discourage us? Or will we learn from the past? Will we look to the promises of tomorrow and the gospel today to give us an attitude of gratefulness for all the Lord has done? That is the question before us. Very quickly. Do not know Jesus Christ If you've never Surrendered your life to him He is real And he desires for you To trust him And to believe in him As savior If you've never believed In the Lord And the gospel of Jesus Christ The gospel is Essentially the good news The Greek word behind that Is euanglion Is the good news That you are A sinner Which is the bad news but That Jesus Christ has come To be the Passover lamb To pay for the sins Of the world So that you would So you have the opportunity Not to pay With your soul, the penalty of your sin, which is hell, but that through the blood of Christ, that your soul is purchased free and clear, that if you would believe in him, that you would be saved. If you've never believed in Jesus Christ, he offers to you the gift of eternal life by faith. What does it say in John 3.16? It says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever would believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you've never believed and believe, and you shall be saved. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Um, Just what a magnificent story of three people that could take the circumstances that they lived and not be grateful. But Lord, we see an example of Mary and Martha, and we see the example of Lazarus. Lord, I pray that we would learn to be grateful for all you have done for us and for the promises of the future. And Lord, just give us eyes to see to arise above the dry road that we walk and to see the blessings you have granted. That is my prayer. Lord, I thank you for our church family. I love them. I love my church family. I thank you for each of them, for those that have not been able to attend physically because of COVID. Lord, I pray for special blessing for them, that you would remember them, that you would come to them and comfort them in this time. Lord, thank you for the rest of us that are here this morning. Thank you for the faithfulness to you and to your word and for the endless generosity to serve and to give to this church. Thank you for this morning. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.